Uh, the reading this morning is from Mark 4, uh, verses 1 to 34. The parable of the sower. And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore of the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen! A farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And still others, their seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a 100 times. And then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those who are on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And others, like the seed sown on the rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes. Because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on the good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred. What times what was sown? And he said to them, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone he has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. 
With the me measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full corner, kernel, rather, corner, kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle in, because the harvest has come. And again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch on its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Thank you, Val. And thank you, Trinity Church Brighton. Uh, it's been lovely to be welcomed today. Um, even before the service, a few of you just came up and said good day. And uh, yeah, just wonderful to be here. I want to apologize up front, though, for the choice of passage after this week. Now, if your plants in the garden have died during the heat wave, I really hope these agricultural parables are not rubbing any salt in your wounds. I can assure you, we chose this passage months out before we knew the weather forecast. But it is great to be here today and to spend time looking at Mark's gospel. Uh, today, the sermon title is that he came to bring the kingdom. And we heard four parables about the kingdom of God. Now, before we begin, I actually might just pray for us again that God would give us ears to hear from him today. Uh, so please pray with me. Gracious Father, we, we pray today that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit. Help us to listen today, to see and to perceive Jesus clearly, uh, to understand what you were saying to us. And we pray that you would help us to hear and accept your word, and that would, it would uh, produce abundant fruit in our lives for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we had four parables read. It's actually quite difficult to do a three-point sermon on four parables. So it's been quite a conundrum in the last couple of weeks in preparing. But I've actually decided that we'll spend most of our time today thinking about the parable of the sower. Uh, this really is the parable of parables. Now, we've got three points uh, on the screen that you can see, so you know where we're going. Or you can find them on the, the Sunday Hub online if you're following along. Uh, but verses 1 to 9, we'll see the parable of parables. In verse 13 to 20, we have Jesus' interpretation of the parable. And then verse 10 to 12, in the middle, did you notice? Jesus mentioned the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, I bet that has your attention because everyone wants to know the secret. And what secret would be more important than this? The secret of the kingdom of God. But you have to wait. That's point three. But we will get there. 
And before we actually jump into the parable of the sower, it's worth just reminding ourselves that it's placed in Mark's uh, gospel, and it has a context. Um, I love Mark, as I have an engineering background. Mark is really concise and clear. In verse 1 of chapter 1, he tells you what his gospel is about, or better, who his gospel is about. Beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark is writing to reveal Jesus' identity to us. And in chapter 1, right from the beginning, we see what Jesus has come to do. He's come to proclaim the good news of God. What is that news? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And in the first couple chapters of Mark, as you've seen in previous weeks, this news leads to a divided response. Some people are just amazed. They see the miracles. They hear Jesus' teaching with authority, this new teaching. They hear that he claims to forgive sin, to be Lord of the Sabbath. They're in awe of who Jesus is and what he's doing. But there's already opposition, and it's growing. The Pharisees are already plotting how they're going to kill Jesus. Jesus' family thinks he's out of his mind. The teachers of the law in chapter 3 call Jesus demon-possessed. We're only three chapters into this gospel. And in Mark 4, this is where we come to the parables about the kingdom of God. In chapter 4, verse 1, we actually see that the crowds are flocking to Jesus at this point in his ministry. There are so many people who have come to hear from him. He actually has to go out in a boat on a lake so that they can hear. And Jesus teaches them many things by parables. Now, if you have brought your Bible today, please keep it open, get it out, or if you've got uh, your phone, you can follow along. In verse 3, Jesus says, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, when the sun came, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant so they didn't bear grain. Still others fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, I suspect for us, this is a really familiar parable, or for many of us in the room it is. It's sort of one of the big three, you know, the Good Samaritan, Prodigal Son or Prodigal God, whichever way you call it, Parable of the Sower. It's just a really familiar parable that we've heard many times. And part of the reason, I think, is it's really simple. One farmer, lots of seed being thrown out, four soils, four results. But some of the details are a bit unusual for us today. Like, if you think about it, why does this farmer waste so much seed? Why is he throwing seed on a path? Of course it's not going to grow there. And maybe this is just really a parable from another time. You know, if Jesus was walking the earth today, he probably wouldn't bother scattering seed. He'd just go to Bunnings, buy the plant you want, get some sea salt for it, and, you know, buy good soil. There's lots of good soil there. And, you know, if your plant still doesn't grow like mine, just go back and buy another plant. He'd probably call it the parable of the good consumerist or something. But um, even though this parable is from another time, we get it today. It's simple. I loved seeing the kids in the room put their hands up. I've thrown seed on soil before. I know this. But I think the thing we often miss is actually how the parable starts and finishes. 
and I think it was Val that read the Bible for us today, I loved how she emphasized the start. Jesus says, listen. He ends by saying, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And Jesus doesn't do this for all his parables, but there's something special about this one that he's drawing our attention to. There's a reason why he wants us to listen carefully. You actually might have noticed what Jesus said in verse 13, how important this parable is. When Jesus is alone with his disciples and a few others, they're asking him about the parables. And Jesus says to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? This is the parable of parables. It's key how we respond to this one. And it's so important that Jesus himself provides the interpretation. I don't know about you, but sometimes the parables in the Gospels, they come across as pretty confusing. Like, what is the big idea? What details am I meant to correlate with other sort of things? Uh, But the parable of the sower is clear, as Jesus himself provides the interpretation for us. In verse 14, Jesus says, The farmer sows the word. This seed in the parable of the sower represents the word. And I don't think Jesus just has any words in mind, but I think he particularly has the gospel word, the gospel message that he's been preaching, that the kingdom of God has come near. Mark tells us this word includes Jesus' identity as the Messiah, the Son of God. And one of the beauties of this parable, I think the reason why it's so familiar and memorable today, is Jesus highlights some timeless things that influence how people respond and hear this word, including us today. In verse 15, Jesus says, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. It's worth recognizing, actually, we live in a broader culture that is really skeptical of the supernatural, and particularly of Satan, like he's caricatured, he's laughed at. But Jesus says, for some people, the word doesn't produce fruit because Satan takes it away. Actually, the New Testament authors aren't embarrassed to mention Satan. Peter, James, and Paul all warn Christians to be on guard, to resist him, that we're not unaware of his schemes. The Bible portrays Satan as the great enemy of God and his people. And actually, right from the beginning, we see that he tells people to doubt God's word. Did God really say, he said in the garden? Uh, Last year, um, there was a Christian, a younger Christian on campus, and he told me actually that one of his classmates had agreed to read the Bible with him. Praise God, that's really exciting. Um, But then he told me what he said to his classmate straight after, which really shocked me. He said to his classmate, he said, you watch out. You've agreed to read the Bible with me, but these next couple of weeks, it's going to be so difficult. Things will come up, distractions will happen, there'll be barriers. And the reason is Satan doesn't want you to hear about Jesus. Wow. (laughs) I don't know if that that is what I would lead with. It was quite forward. Um, But there's something right about what he said. Jesus says that for some, Satan will come and take away the word that is sown. Response 2, verse 16. Jesus says, Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. 
when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. For others, Jesus says this word doesn't produce fruit because even though they receive it with joy initially, they quickly fall away. And I think in the past as I've heard this parable, I've just thought it's because life gets hard, things are difficult. But do you notice what Jesus actually says? When trouble or persecution comes because of the word. If we ever preach a gospel that says, believe the gospel, follow Jesus, your life will be easy, your life will be simple. That's not the gospel. True, there's great joy, actually receiving the forgiveness of your sins, being reconciled to God, knowing your maker, your redeemer. But that life will also include trouble and persecution because of the word. A few weeks ago, we had um, a start of year camp uh, for uh, ESs, and uh, we decided to look at the book of 2 Timothy. And it was actually my first time teaching the book. Um, And as I was preparing these first three talks, I had a bit of a moment where I realized each talk just had the same message. That's because chapter 1 and 2 of 2 Timothy have the same message. Join in suffering for the gospel. And as the camp went on, and I kept sharing just this same message that keeps coming up in 2 Timothy, as Paul encourages Timothy just to keep going in the faith, I actually suspect for some in the room, they were quite uncomfortable. Because this idea of suffering for the gospel actually hasn't been their experience. They've actually had the great privilege of growing up in a Christian family, of going to a good church community, of even being in a Christian school where just everyone around them is Christian. But actually, in the coming weeks, when they get to campus, uh, their Christian bubble is about to burst. And actually, this will be the first time where following Jesus isn't just the easy thing to do. It actually might become quite difficult. Uh, In our group at the moment, we actually have a few first-generation Christians, which is just so wonderful, the first people in their family to put their faith in Jesus. Uh, But I think for almost all of them, one of the real costs in following Jesus is actually that their family aren't believers that something's so core to their identity of who they are, that they're in Christ, that they're a child of God, their family just doesn't get at best, or at worst, is actively opposed. The word will bring trouble and persecution. If we don't have roots, Jesus warns us that we might quickly fall away. Response three, Jesus says in verse 18, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. For others, the word doesn't produce fruit because things come in and choke it out. And I think these three things make us a bit uncomfortable today because they hit close to home, don't they? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things. I wonder if you've ever actually had the experience that I've had of sitting in a church service before, the preacher's sharing from the word, and my mind just drifts to the week ahead, to all the things that I have to do in this week ahead, and just wondering, how will I get them done? The worries of this life can choke out the word. Or is it the deceitfulness of wealth? Because we live in a world where we're constantly messaged to put our trust and to find our security in our wealth. Uh, this hit home to me actually a few years ago. I was at uh, Marion watching a movie. And I love movie trailers at the start of the movie. It's kind of like a bonus two-minute movie for free where you get to see another movie. Uh, but the, the cinema had a change. They actually decided to show general advertisements instead of movie trailers. 
And as I was sitting there, a super commercial came on. And it was one of those commercials where it's like, if you are with our super, you'll retire with this much. If you're not with us, you're going to retire with this much. And I'm sitting there ready to watch a movie. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking about my super. What am I going to retire with? Will I have enough? Who is my super? The deceitfulness of wealth is just all around us. It's constantly messaged. It's the world that we live in. And Jesus warns us that it can choke out the word. But the third thing he mentions is just simply the desire for other things. I think the question is ultimately, what do we love most? The things of this world or Jesus? Response four. In verse 20, Jesus says, Other seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. I think the point of the parable is clear. Jesus is urging us to hear and to respond to the word like the good soil. When you read Bible commentaries on this passage, though, commentators go a bit crazy. They kind of say that soil one, that's obviously bad. Soil four is good, but you know, maybe soil two and three, maybe they're not that bad. Maybe they're just Christians who are being a bit unproductive here and there. They miss the point of the parable. Be soil for, hear the word, respond to the gospel. Let it transform your life. And I actually think the response Jesus calls for in this parable is similar to that he gives in chapter one, where he says, repent and believe the good news. Accept the message of who Jesus is and be transformed by it. Lauren mentioned earlier that uh, on campus this week, we had O-Week. This is orientation week. Um, you know, students come in, there's... Heaps of clubs around that share what they do. So, you know, join the board games club. Join the club that has, like, stickers and little pins that you can have. You can join any club. It feels like a university. Um, and we started at 10 o'clock. University students get a good sleep in. It's, it's a hard life. Uh, we had our stall there. Um, and at 10.01, this lady came up to us and said, nice to meet you. And she said, I'm so glad to have found you. And she was an international student. And she said to us that the first thing she wanted to do when she got to campus was to meet other Christians so that she could read the word with them. She said in her country, it's actually really difficult to meet Christians regularly to read the word. So encouraging. Good soil. As we think about this parable and how we might respond today, um, I want to highlight just two dangers as I've pondered this this week. Um, The first is to be a parable spectator just to sit back and think about other people we know and how they have responded to the word. And I actually suspect for each of us, we can think of someone in our lives who we love and care for, who represent each of the different soils Jesus has mentioned. This parable does have a lot of explanatory power for why people respond to the gospel in different ways. But today in hearing this parable, the question is, how will I respond to it? And it's calling each of us, whoever has ears to hear, to listen. I think the second danger, particularly if you've uh, been a Christian for a while or part of this church community, is just to assume really quickly we are the good soil, move on, next parable, without actually slowing down and reflecting. How am I responding to the gospel today? To examine our hearts and our lives to see if they've grown cold or hard. Actually, as I've pondered the three soils that were non-fruitful this week, I think for me, the third soil is the biggest danger. Just the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. 
coming in and choking out the word in my life. If this is the danger, what is the gospel solution? I actually think it's related to this idea of the secret of the kingdom of God. In verse 10, we read, when Jesus was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, if you're listening carefully, I suspect verse 12 raises some questions because it kind of sounds like Jesus is saying he uses parables so those on the outside won't understand and won't be forgiven. That seems really out of character for Jesus, doesn't it? And we need to recognize he's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 6 here. Uh, The book of Isaiah in the first five chapters, we see the Lord confront his people, Israel, for their ongoing idolatry and rebellion against him. Israel had rejected the word of the Lord time after time, prophet after prophet. In chapter 5, actually, the Lord likens Israel to a vineyard, but a vineyard that only produced bad fruit. And in chapter 6, the Lord now calls his prophet Isaiah to go to his people and to pronounce judgment upon them. And in quoting this passage here, I think Jesus is highlighting that this pattern of disbelief during Isaiah's day is being repeated in his. Actually, already in Mark's gospel, we've seen the Pharisees plotting Jesus' death. We've seen the teachers of the law calling him demon-possessed. But here, they're not just rejecting a prophet. They're rejecting their Messiah, the Son of God. Parables aren't just stories with good morals but they push the hearer to respond and to respond at a personal level, not just intellectually, but at a level of belief and action. And we see Jesus calls to the crowds to respond. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And what I think parables actually do, the beauty of parables is they reveal and they reinforce our response to Jesus. Actually, what unnerves us today, I think, is Jesus doesn't let us sit on the fence with him. His teaching will either attract or repel us. And one of the most exciting things we do in our job uh, on campus is read the Bible with not yet believers. And I love choosing Mark's gospel because he just gets straight into the action. Uh, But every time, almost every time, I think, when we've got to Mark 4, the temperature gets raised. Because the person who's reading the gospel realizes this isn't just to find out more information or to see what Christians think generally, but it's really explicit that they themselves will have to respond to Jesus personally. And whatever they do, that will have huge implications for their life. Parables reveal and reinforce our response to Jesus. And though they bring out this divided response, in verse 11, Jesus actually says, his disciples and the others with him, that the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. What's the secret? I think it's simply that Jesus is king. He is the Messiah, the son of God, the one God has sent to establish his everlasting kingdom. You know, the disciples hadn't recognized this yet in full, but they had responded in part to Jesus. They'd left their lives to follow him to join him in his work of proclaiming the good news. And later in Mark's gospel, we'll see that they come to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. But even then, 
Jesus says, don't tell anyone. The secret of the kingdom of God is actually only to be made known after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Before the good news is to be proclaimed openly, Jesus had to fulfill his mission as the Messiah. Actually, in the next parable, the lamp on the stand, I think we see that this secret is to be brought out. Jesus says, do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. And what was once hidden, what was once concealed, what was once a secret is no more. The secret of the kingdom of God has been made known. Jesus is king, and hearing and accepting that news will transform your lives. Your lives will bear fruit. And I think, actually, this is the secret to being the good soil. Because when we acknowledge Jesus as our king, we will not fall away when trouble and persecution comes because of the word. Because we know our king, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Before we walk this path of trouble and persecution, our king has done that for us. And he's now exalted in glory at the right hand of God the Father. And actually he calls us to follow on that path, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. When we not acknowledge Jesus as our king, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things will become less attractive. Because we know we can't serve two masters. We can't serve God and money. We know actually that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And that some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Jesus is a much better master than money. The secret of the kingdom of God really is good news. It's a message that anyone on the outside who hears it and responds becomes an insider. In Romans 1, Paul shares why he's eager to preach the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God which brings salvation to everyone who believes. This is why as Christians today, we're committed to proclaiming the gospel. This is why this is a priority for our churches, for the ministries, for our own lives, for the people that we partner with who are doing this work. Because as we proclaim the gospel, that is how the kingdom of God grows today, as people believe it and are transformed by it. Actually, this is what the parable of the growing seed is about in verse 26. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. All the farmer does is sow the seed, and it grows without him. All we do today is we share the word. We're entrusted with the message of the gospel. We share it and we leave the growth to God. And in the parable of the mustard seed, verse 30 to 34, something which was so unimpressive and small from worldly standards grows into something greater than we could ever imagine. Isn't that true of Jesus, who was despised and rejected, alone on the cross, yet one day will be worshipped by people from every tribe, every language, nation, and tongue? 
Actually, later in the book of Isaiah, towards the end, this language that is used of seeing and perceiving is used again, actually. But it's here where it's used that they will understand and they will see. Because Jesus, the suffering servant, what he has done will open up the eyes of people. In chapter 52 of Isaiah, verse 14, Isaiah writes, His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Jesus came to bring the kingdom. The secret of the kingdom of God is that he is king. This is a message that will transform our lives as we accept it and believe it. And we join proclaiming this message to others because that's how the kingdom of God grows today. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son for our sake. Uh, that he came to bring your kingdom, one where any on the outside who hear and respond to the message that Jesus is king will become an insider and have their lives transformed to bear fruit for you. Uh, we pray today, Lord, that you would help each of us to respond to this message. Uh, Father, we pray that in our lives, in our church, in the ministries we support, uh, that the proclamation of this message will always remain a priority. And we pray, Father, that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as in heaven. Amen.